Bible Church, thanks for being here today to worship with us. That same Jesus is alive and at work in our lives today as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Wonderful truths. Let's say our memory verse for the month of September together. It's from the book of John, chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34, and 35. I want to thank you for your prayers uh, over the course of the last week. The Lord has continued to draw plans together for us. At this point, it looks like we'll be traveling down to Haiti next Wednesday, October 7th. And so, we're praising the Lord for his provision in providing uh, an airline that can take us, uh, the pickup, and all of those details. We will not be spending a night in Haiti, which is another answer to prayer. Uh, we'll be spending pretty much the entire day Thursday, uh, October 8th in Haiti, and we'll return very, very early on Friday morning, October 9th. And so I would just ask that you would continue uh, to pray and to keep our family in prayer through this transition and through this season as we're looking forward to Stanley and Schneider coming home and being with us, together with us. So I wonder this morning if anyone knows any good fishing stories out there. They say that patience is a virtue. Uh, it's not one of my strongest. And uh, for sure, fishing is not an activity uh, that I have enjoyed throughout my life. And I don't have really many good fishing stories to tell you this morning. I may recount and recall for you uh, one particular story. Years ago when I was younger, about middle school age, my family went to West Virginia for a week uh, vacation. And during the time we were in West Virginia, we decided that one of the activities was that we were going to go fishing. My father and my uncle loved the fish. Some of the folks that were along with us loved the fish. So we went fishing. And, uh, of course, again, patience not being a virtue for me, as I stood on the bank and failed to catch, and failed to catch, and failed to catch, I thought, surely there must be a better way to do this. And so, sure enough, I saw a, uh, one of the friends that was along with us on our vacation. He was along the banks, and he was catching fish, but whenever he would move, I would watch the fish swim over to this tree and kind of pull up around the roots of the bottom of the tree. And I thought, well, I'm not going to throw a rod in there. I'm just going to get a big stone. And I got and I found a big stone. And I walked over to where all the fish were at the bottom of that tree and the roots. And I lifted that big stone up above my head. Now, again, I was probably late elementary school, uh, early, high, early middle school. And I threw that fish in the water, or threw that rock in the water as hard as I could, and about three to four fish came bellied up at the top of the water. <laughs> You're laughing because you know, <laughs> you know how much trouble I got in. <laughs> Apparently that's not the best way to fish. <laughs> We're going to look at a good fishing story today in John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We only have 
two messages left in our study of this gospel. John, uh, the first part of 21 we'll cover this week, and the second part of 21 we'll cover in later weeks. And you know what I, what I come to see in the scriptures and what you come to find in the gospels is though we don't see Jesus fishing very often, it appears that he was a pretty good fisherman. And we're going to see that today. John chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 to 14. John 21, 1 to 14. Let's take a moment and pray. Father, indeed, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity today to hear from global partners, those who are serving you in other parts of this world that you have called. And we're reminded of the power that is at work within us and through us. And Lord, we pray that as we look together into your word this morning, that your spirit would go forth, that he would produce his intended fruit, that we would be hearers, Lord, and also doers of your word as you apply the truth of the scripture that you have given us to our hearts. Lord, might this be a time of growth? Might this be a time of unity? Might this be an opportunity for us to grow in a greater love for you and each other? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of, full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire, fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus is again revealing himself to the disciples in our text this morning. And this time it is by the Sea of Tiberias 
which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, we have talked very frequently over the last number of years about how we draw Israel, how we draw Jerusalem, how we draw the ancient Near East. And we have, of course, as you see on the screen, our raisin, rope, and peanuts. Raisin, rope, peanut, absolutely. And so the Sea of Galilee here is the raisin at the very top. And this is an image of what the Sea of Galilee looks like. Elevated, it's very beautiful. You can see it, it's a, it looks like a water that would be pristine and beautiful for fishing. What's interesting about the Sea of Galilee is that the Sea of Galilee is a fresh water sea. In America, we call these things lakes. We have a number of them. They're very big. And so also, sometimes it is called, and you may have heard it referred to as Lake Gennesaret. You may have heard it called that as well. Matthew and Mark's gospel actually give us insight as to why the disciples are in Galilee. This is not an accident. They were just not going on their own volition. They were being obedient. They were told to go. Mark chapter 16, verse 7, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They were to go and wait. And so verse 2 tells us that there are seven disciples that are present here. Five of whom we can loosely identify and two we are unaware of. At the very least, we know that Peter is there, Thomas is there, we know Nathaniel, James, and John are present. And the words at the end of verse 2, look at your text, very significant. They were together. They were together. All that had happened, all that had transpired, all that had gone on, and here they were in this moment, and they are together. They're common mark as disciples of the risen Lord has been a unifying inner reality within each of them that has held them together through these days of uncertainty. And speaking strictly from a heavenly perspective, we understand that the Lord had superintended that these would be the seven exact men to be together for this particular revelation. But they have even more in common than just being disciples of Jesus. Yes, that is a unifying factor. But here it is Peter who is the conduit through whom God is drawing these men together. And for Peter, the activity which proves most effective in uniting these seven is fishing. Together, these disciples share a love of fishing. The time of waiting behind locked doors. Think of where we had seen these men before. Waiting in rooms behind locked doors. The time for that is over. They're out. They're doing what they love to do. In verse 3, a verse for all of you here this morning who love to fish, who are fishermen. Don't you love it when Simon Peter looks and says to his friends, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they say to him, what? Hey, we'll go with you. We'll go. This was their profession. It, it was their comfort. It was what they knew best. This was their normal, being out in the water. It was their livelihood. 
And whatever the current circumstances of their life might have been, one reality remains. A man must eat. And isn't it somewhat ironic, I think it's ironic, that at the end of Jesus' physical, earthly ministry, we find his disciples doing the very same thing they were doing at the beginning of his physical, earthly ministry. Jesus had found these men attached to their boats, attached to the nets and the poles at the beginning of the gospel accounts. And I can't help but imagine that for some of these disciples, in these moments of togetherness and unity, as they were out on the boat together doing what they loved to do, fishing, that there was a feeling of solidarity and of comfort. Perhaps even an opportunity. You know how it is when you go fishing now. As I was told a lot as I was younger going fishing, I wasn't allowed to talk loud. But you know that fishing is, is, when you go with other people, it's a social event. And you're out on the boat and you're fishing, and I'm sure that they had time to reflect on the ministry that they had together with Jesus while he was walking the earth. Verse 3 also informs us that it is nighttime. We don't fish at night very much here. At least I never really remember doing that. But in the ancient Near East and in Galilee, the nighttime was the right time for fishermen. This is when fishermen went out on the water. And part of the reason was that back in the ancient Near East, the nets that they used for fishing were made of a linen fabric that had a bright color that was a lot less visible to the fish at night than it was during the daytime. And so the nighttime was a very popular, a very fruitful time for people, especially who were professionals, to go out and go fishing. And isn't it ironic as well that again, in John's gospel, something is happening and it is night. It's night. Night has been a common theme that has been used throughout John's gospel. Indeed, in John chapter 3, there was a man named Nicodemus who came fishing for answers from Jesus. And when was it? Night. And throughout John's gospel, night has been used symbolically to illustrate both darkness and fruitlessness of a life apart from Jesus. In this particular fishing endeavor, as we see in our text today, initially, it's a very fruitless endeavor. And at the very end of verse 3, we're actually told what? They caught nothing. They caught nothing. And we might ask ourselves the question as we reflect on that, could this have reminded the disciples of another time? When they fished throughout the entire night and caught nothing. Luke chapter 5 holds the account. Some of you will remember it well. Jesus is teaching the people on the shore from a boat. And when he finishes, he asks the disciples to drop their nets down into the deep. And how does Peter respond? Remember, Peter answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
And as they follow the command of Jesus, do you remember what happened in that story? The nets came up so full that not just one, but both of the boats on the water almost sank. And we are reminded, friends, that when Jesus is motivating our actions, when he is motivating our attitudes, when we are abiding in him in obedience, life is full. It's rich. Jesus had said even earlier in John's gospel, in John chapter 15, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And for certain, friends, wouldn't we all agree as we sit together in this room and as we watch online from our homes today, that apart from Christ, our lives are empty and dark and fruitless. Just as the disciples' nets were in this account today, empty. But as we soon will see, Jesus has the power to take that which is empty and fill it. Till it overflows, producing an abundance of fruit. Morning is breaking. And the fortunes of the disciples are changing and will change significantly at the word of their now present Messiah. As it turns out, Jesus is standing on the beach. He has been busy. And in a moment for his disciples, everything is about to change. I don't know about you, but uh, many mornings it is my routine to go out before the sun is up at this time of year. I go out for about a two-mile walk. And when I set out for that walk, as I share, it's, it's still very dark out. And one of the joys of this daily time together with the Lord is watching Him bring light through the sun. You, you know, some of you sit out in the, on your porch in the morning with a cup of coffee or a tea You've had this experience where you've seen the sun coming up from behind the hills and the beauty as the sun rises and lights everything around us. It's magnificent. Each new day we are given is a gift. It's a day full of purpose from Jesus. It's a reason to love, live, and lead for God's glory. And here in verse 4, day is breaking. The day before was fruitless. Not much had happened for them in terms of fishing. But today, today is a new day. And we come to find Jesus in what has become a familiar post-resurrection posture. Four times in John chapter 20, we see Jesus standing. And now for a fifth time, in two chapters, once again, Jesus is standing on the shore of the Galilean Sea. And isn't it amazing? I I find this interesting. In fact, I, I, I was so taken by this this week as I was studying. I had to go into Garrett's office and, and say to him, Garrett... Why did so many people not recognize the risen Lord? Why did they miss him? They kept missing him. Mary missed him. He was standing right there. She didn't recognize it was him. He's on the shore. He's standing on the shore. He's calling out to them. They do not recognize it is him. Look at verse 4. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
And, and I want us to consider for a second why so many may have missed Jesus. How could they not know? And, and so as I was thinking about this, I, I imagine with me for a second that it's Saturday morning and that you have made a trip to Lancaster's Market, right in the city. Some of you know the market well. Some of you go to market during the week. It's Saturday morning. You go to market and you are waiting in line at Mean Cup of Joe. Or you're waiting in line at the Lancaster County Coffee Roasters, wherever you get your coffee at market. And you see someone in the distance as you wait in line that looks exactly like your great-great-grandmother. However, as you wait in line, you know that that person cannot possibly be your great-great-grandmother because she had passed away many, many years ago, except for the fact that she looks so eerily similar that you cannot take your eyes off of her. Have any of you had an experience kind of like this before where you see someone who looks exactly like somebody else you knew, but it couldn't possibly be that person? And I think for the same reason, many of the disciples did not recognize Jesus. They just weren't expecting to physically see him. Even though he had appeared two times previously, we don't know how much time had passed since the last time that he had appeared to the disciples. And it's clear in the text that they're not anticipating his presence. And so they just miss him. Is that really him? Could that really be Jesus? So with this perspective in mind, Jesus calls to the disciples. Now it would mean a lot more if that person that looked like your great-great-grandmother actually looked at you across the market and said, Hey, Chris! Jesus calls out from the shore to the disciples. And the word that he uses here is the same word that in today's vernacular we may translate as like lads. You know, it, it's, a, it's a term of endearment, a gentle term. The, the ESV uses the word children. He's not angry with his disciples. His kindness is on display here. The question that Jesus asked, he's asking a question that actually anticipates a negative response. Jesus knows they haven't caught any fish. Look at verse 5. Children, do you have any fish? He knows. He knows they don't. And their answer, no, affirms that their evening of fishing has ended just like many of our fishing outings do. Right? With not a fish to speak of. Following their answer, Jesus directs them to cast their nets to the other side of the boat. And what happens next is a reminder that wherever, whenever Jesus is present, and we recognize his presence in our lives, that there is always more than enough of what we need available for us. Look at verse 6. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, if you're a fisherman, if this is what you do for your profession, you're the professional, and you have been out fishing all night, and you have caught nothing, it may very well be easy for you in these moments to lean on the excuse of, hey, the fish just aren't biting, buddy. 
it's not working here today. You know, maybe, maybe it's the bait. I don't know. Maybe our nets aren't tied right. I'm not sure. But it's a new day. Remember, it's a new day. And it's the day that the Lord has made. And we're to rejoice and be glad in it. And so they listen. And they throw their nets to the other side. And what happens? The good shepherd causes the nets of the disciples to overflow. What was just empty at the word of Jesus is now full and filled to the point where they're unable to haul it in because of the sheer quantity of fish. And there's this passage from the book of Ezekiel that begins to emerge in our minds. And before we go there, we have to remember what Jesus said about his body in John chapter 2. Remember when Jesus talked about his body as a temple? John chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, in Ezekiel, there is a picture of a temple from which flows a rushing river. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelaim. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. And then again, friends, the imagery of our text today. The temple, capital T, the temple is present on the shore of the fresh water sea of Galilee, with his fishermen casting their nets into the water, soon to bring in a haul of many different fish. And we get this picture of Jesus who has ushered in a new covenant, age, dispensation of the church that was about to begin. Fish of a diverse kind, us friends, from all over the world, would be drawn into the limitless nets that would stretch to every corner of the earth. Isn't it amazing that what happens, as soon as they cast their nets out to the right side of the boat, as soon as the nets are full and loaded with fish, at the haul of the fish caught up in the nets, the disciple John immediately recognizes that Jesus is in their midst. Now he knows Look at verse 7. He turns to Peter and what does he say? That, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And isn't it interesting in John's gospel, we, we've talked about this before. John likes to paint himself as always being just a little bit of a step ahead of Peter, doesn't he? The first one to the tomb. Now he's the first one in the boat to recognize that it's Jesus on the shore. But guess who's going to be the first one to get to Jesus? 
It's almost as if Peter and Jesus have some unfinished business, isn't it? And indeed, we're going to come to find that out as we close our study of John in, in just a few weeks from today. But before Peter jumps in, we're reminded that fishing is a very stinky profession. The men who would be out on the boats, they would not be wearing their full garments. In fact, the word that's used here for stripped is the same word that's used in other places for naked. So we can assume that they probably had very limited clothing on. And so first, Peter has to pick up his outer garments and put his outer garments on. And when he grabs them and gets them on, look at what he does at the end of verse 7. The words, he threw himself into the sea. Consider that the last time that Peter saw Jesus and water was involved, he literally tried walking on it to get to him. Jesus has a big fish named Peter on his hook. And later, in John chapter 21, Jesus is going to show us exactly how he intends to use his catch. And I think what's interesting is the Bible tells us that there is a football field of distance between the boat and between where Jesus is standing on the shore. But Peter does not care about that. He just jumps right in and starts swimming. He is so desperately excited to see the Lord. And when I confronted the text this week, early in the week, I was struck with the question that I had to ask myself. When was the last time that I expressed this level of excitement to be in the presence of Jesus? This is not a chore to Peter. And, and think about the awkwardness that may have been between Peter and Jesus in these moments. Remember what Peter had done before Jesus went to the cross. He did exactly what Jesus said he was going to do and denied him Three times. Yet he can't wait. The other disciples stay in the boat because they're unable to haul in this big catch that they had. And you see the picture of what many believe would have been a Galilean fishing boat back in that day. And you see the net in the back. And you can imagine a net full of fish on a boat that's not large. Like we may think of huge, these massive boats today. It's not the way that they were. The other disciples had a lot of work to do to get that boat onto the shore. And as they arrive, Jesus has already prepared a feast for them. Look at verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Have you ever wondered how Jesus caught his fish? I've thought about that. You know, I wonder. Jesus probably could fish a lot more efficiently than any one of us. I mean, if he knew the fish by name, you could almost wonder, like, Simon, get up there on the fire. Moses, get up. Come on. I got to feed these guys. Come on. I don't know how he caught his fish. The, the word doesn't tell us. But what is truly clear and apparent is that Jesus has been cooking. He's been cooking. 
And it is utterly characteristic of Jesus throughout the Gospels to be serving his people. This is his model of leadership. What did he do just earlier in John? He washed his disciples' feet. And here we are now, John chapter 21, the final chapter in John. And he's making them breakfast. And what is beautiful, friends, about verses 9 and 10 is that they are a microcosm of how ministry works. In, verse chapter, in chapter 21, verse 9, Jesus does the work. But then in verse 10, he involves his disciples in it. Look at what he says in verse 10. Bring some of the fish you have just caught. He made breakfast, then invited them to participate in breakfast together with him. And so it's Peter who once again springs into action and goes back into the boat and begins hauling this massive catch of at least 153 fish to the shore. And in a touch of foreshadowing for our final message in John in a few Sundays from today, is it not significant that Peter is the one who God had determined would haul in the fish? Remember? Jesus' interactions with Peter. Cephas! This was Cephas, the rock on whom Jesus would build his church. The preacher in the book of Acts. The author of the epistles that bear his name. Truly, Peter would become one of the greatest fishermen ever to walk the face of the earth. The end of verse 11 tells us, And although there were so many fish, in the net, that the net was not torn. Now, for those of you that know anything about fishing and nets, a torn net is a terrible tool for fishermen. Why? Where the fish would go? 153 fish would not stay in a torn net. They'd find a way out. A catch as large as Jesus has produced in these moments would have overloaded the net, putting it at an extreme risk for tearing. And yet that despite this enormous haul of fish, not one tear had developed. Nothing is wasted or lost with Jesus. Ever. You remember that when he fed the 5,000, you remember that there were leftovers? And what did he tell the disciples to do? Nothing is wasted. Nothing is lost. Gather them up. Later in the same chapter, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Lose nothing. Nothing is lost or wasted with Jesus. The good shepherd protects his sheep. No one can snatch them from his hands. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays in verse 12, why I was with them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Back on the shore, the net is not torn, not one fish has been lost, and verse 12 echoes one of my favorite mealtime hymns. Can any of you guess what it is? Verse 12, favorite mealtime hymn? Anybody know? Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. Nobody sung that growing up? Anybody sing that growing up? 
Okay, some, thank you. I, I was wondering, I may have been the only one. Come and eat, guys. Come and eat. Isn't it amazing that at the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus is calling his disciples to come and do what? Come and see. Come and see. John chapter 1, 39. John chapter 1, 46. And now at the end, they have seen. And many of them have known and have come to know that he is the truth. They believe that he has set them free. And so now the invitation isn't come and see, but the invitation is come and eat. Have life. Be full. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. The Last Supper is in John chapter 17, and it gives way here in John chapter 21 to the first breakfast. And many of the same ragtag group of disciples that had sat around the table with Jesus immediately before his arrest now sat around the charcoal campfire with him. Their minds and their hearts are settled. No one needs to ask. They know they are in the presence of the Lord. As Jesus had offered the bread at the Last Supper, once again here he offers the bread, but not this time as a symbol of his body. This time the bread is given more so as a sign that he will continue to provide in what he is calling them to do. And the fish, friends, the fish is not an accident. Yes, the fish was a regular kind of breakfast type of meal for people back in the ancient Near East. But indeed, the disciples had been given a mission, one that would be front and center after Jesus ascended. And the mission involved fishing, but not fishing for fish. Jesus was creating, motivating, and sending fishers of men. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to his disciples from the very beginning, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We might ask ourselves, why is this account included in John's gospel? Why is this here? And I believe that this account exists to direct us towards the veracity of the bodily resurrection of Jesus as witnessed by many disciples. John chapter, or, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this reality. And if you look at our text today, verse 1 and verse 14, the first and the last verse bookend this particular section perfectly. The text is given as further proof of the physically resurrected Messiah. If anyone needed further evidence that Jesus had indeed conquered death and was physically resurrected, an account where Jesus prepares both a great catch of fish and breakfast for his disciples is a clear reminder that Jesus' resurrection was bodily. Because all of us who sit in this room today know this reality. A ghost can't make breakfast. Can't do it. The text is here because it's evidence that Jesus physically, bodily, rose from the dead. And so again, we're confronted with the intended question of the gospel writer, do we believe it? These things are written that you might believe, and if our answer is yes to that question today, 
if we can confirm that indeed we are believing, then what comes next is the reminder that we have been given a mission. Jesus doesn't call us to become fishers of men on our own strength. The increase, the catch, they belong to him. He does the work, and yet he chooses to use us to accomplish his purposes in the salvation of men's and women's souls. So I might ask us today, how might Jesus be using us today, tomorrow, or later this week to draw someone in to his net? There is no one too far or too deep from the reach of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this account from your word this morning, a reminder that indeed you physically rose from the dead, a reminder that indeed within you there was power, miraculous power, to make that which is empty full, a reminder of the reality that you call us to be fishers of men, that you call us to love and care for others in the same manner that you loved and cared for us. So Lord, we thank you for this testimony today. We praise you for your son Jesus. May he compel us as we go through our week. In Jesus' name, amen.